This is Real Business in Real Time with executive coach, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Learn what C-suite execs and business leaders have learned in the real-time, real-world school of hard knocks. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Real Business in Real Time. My guest today is Mr. Sam Thigpen. Sam is a recognized business leader, entrepreneur, and avid outdoorsman. As the CEO of Sapphire Gas Solutions, a natural gas solutions company based in Conroe, Texas, Sam continually supports the growing use of LNG and CNG in various industries and applications across North America. During his over 20 years in the natural gas industry, Mr. Thigpen has experience in gas processing, offshore service, international service, pipeline operations, new pipeline and facilities construction, executive leadership, and the execution of buy-sell transactions of private companies. Prior to being named as CEO of Sapphire, Sam founded and led Thigpen Energy and later Thigpen Solutions. These businesses are now part of Sapphire. Sam is a lifetime member of Mensa, so I'm pretty sure smarter than me. So Sam, welcome to Real Business in Real Time. But thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Before we start, just for folks that maybe aren't quite as familiar with your industry, tell us what LNG and CNG are acronyms for. Yeah, LNG stands for liquefied natural gas. And so that is taking natural gas out of a pipeline, getting it cold to about negative 260 degrees Fahrenheit and condensing that methane to actual liquid form. Compressed natural gas is the CNG acronym. And that's taking that same pipeline gas, compressing it up to high, ultra high pressure, 3,600 PSI, and putting it into a, a high pressure tube trailer for transport and use, you know, where, wherever gas might be needed. Okay, appreciate that. So just uh, talk <laughs> to me a little bit about your business, kind of the three minute version of Sapphire Solutions. Yeah, sure, sure. So Sapphire Gas Solutions, as you mentioned, in the intro is actually a merged company of my legacy business, which was Thigfin Energy, and another business, Blue Road Solutions, based out of Dallas. So we we both were funded and, and financially sponsored by BP Energy Partners, which is a private equity firm in Dallas. And so this year, we decided, since both businesses had very similar business models, we decided to merge these two companies together. So we now provide LNG as off-pipe solutions where companies, industry, end users can't get a natural gas pipeline delivered to their property or to their business. And we do the same thing with CNG as well. So we'll take CNG and LNG and deliver it to a location where a customer either has gas, but it's been shut down because of infrastructure maintenance or, or an outage. Or maybe they can't get gas because they can't get a pipeline. And so we actually truck the gas to them and install the uh, equipment on their site so they can actually use the natural gas in lieu of propane or fuel oil or diesel. So that's kind of the the three-minute synopsis of what we do. It's a lot more detailed than that, obviously, but it's all over the country. We work from New York to California and Texas to North Dakota. So we cover the country and... We, uh, we work year-round delivering natural gas to, to companies and 
to end users that need it. Okay, awesome. At the end of this podcast, I'll uh, ask you to share your website with folks so they can get some more details if, if they'd like. When you and I talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, you told me that you really started this business out of your garage in about 2005. So I, I, I just love stories like that. So your business, a whole lot of very successful rock and roll bands and Amazon started <laughs> in a garage, right? So... <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> I'm really curious about what is the secret sauce that helped you take a startup in your garage about 15 years ago to a, a thriving business today? Yeah, that, though, that's a great question. You know, obviously, when I started out in the garage back in 2005, honestly, we we probably at that time never had any thought that it would turn into the business it's turned into today. It was really, you know, a venture to do something that I really enjoyed to do and an opportunity for me to grow a business that was attractive to other natural gas, you know, kind of field service personnel. You know, one, one of the things that really drove me to start the business in the, in the beginning was, was really just to build an organization that had such a great culture that it, that it actually attracted employees from other businesses that wanted to come and work with us. And we, we were really successful in doing that. We obviously were small and we're still small, but we were, you know, micro size for a number of years. We just had a handful of employees, but everybody that we, we hired, they just, they, they took ownership and they had that passion and they, they didn't get up thinking that this was a job every day. And that was, that was huge for me. I wanted to build an organization that made culture a real priority and that that people could actually take ownership in and take pride in what they were doing and and really make a career path out of it. So that that was the first thing and 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 really that started to drive some growth which was exciting and then before we knew it we actually needed more people and more equipment and more capital and all these all these great things. But one of the one of the other thoughts in that secret sauce so to speak and one of the things that made us as successful as we are is really learning how to really lead an organization was critical. So many entrepreneurs, they start a business and it's in their garage or it's out of some shop that they rented or an office space. And they have to take ownership of that entire, you know, the success and failure of that entire organization really rests on their shoulders. And so it's hard as you grow as an entrepreneur to let go of control sometimes when you have to bring on additional resources and people and and you have to start prioritizing your time as the entrepreneur, the leader and the owner. And you have to start turning responsibility over to to trusted employees. And that was another really critical path for us to to get right. Are we perfect at it? No. Am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. But we really I put a focus on that. I put a huge focus on learning to lead others and not just micromanage or do it for them. I wanted them to to be able to take that ownership. And and that created the ability for us to grow. Uh, I mean, and that just led into that ability to scale. We We couldn't be where we are today if we were stuck in the mindset of working as only a small business or we only were working as a, as working out of that garage, you know, 15 years ago, we had to understand that we were going to have to scale. It was going to take 
real leadership from both me and the folks that became managers in the business. And we had to continue to grow that, grow and maintain that culture of ownership for all the employees that they really wanted to get up and and have a place that they were excited to go every day. You know, when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, Sam, you you described to me what you called entrepreneurial leadership, which I think my takeaway was maybe different than like corporate leadership. So tell me kind of your differentiation of what entrepreneurial leadership, how that might be a little different or a lot different. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, you know, I do. I see it as two different things. I, I see your your entrepreneurial leadership as 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 a different leadership style than corporate leadership. I, I think that was definitely the way I coined it the other day when we chatted. You know, in in a corporate environment, leadership is is very methodical. It's very mechanical, and you have a lot of resources, right? In the corporate world, if you if you're a, a business leader in a billion dollar publicly traded company you have human resources people you have tech you know IT people you have engineering and operations and you have all of these 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 resources that you can pick from now the challenge is if you go from being an entrepreneur to being a corporate leader sometimes you have to understand how to use those resources because as an entrepreneurial leader you have to lead and you have to build that that culture and you have to take on that professional leadership style, but you don't maybe always have all of those resources available to you as in the corporate world. And so you have to get involved in discussions in a different way than you might have to in that corporate environment. You have to you have to be careful of micromanaging, but be involved in the conversation as you're leading the business and involved in the situations because you're probably wearing a few different hats. But your your other leaders in that organization are always themselves wearing a few different hats as well. And so you don't have that ability to um, have a specific skill set or a specific role. If I'm a corporate leader in a in a publicly traded company, maybe I'm the president of that company and I have a vice president of operations and human resources and technology and these other different things. And they're highly specialized. Those those people are very professional, very specialized, and their focus is that that task that comes along with that title every single day. And it's going to be IT related or human resources related. A VP of operations in an entrepreneurial business may need to also know how to write a CapEx memo or look at financials and help understand costs. You know, so there's a lot of cross-pollination, so to speak, in the roles and responsibilities in, in the two different leadership styles. So what you just described to me sounds like a bit of a tightrope. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what I heard was, Sam, is you can't micromanage and, and scale. But as an entrepreneurial leader, you got to have the pulse of what's going on and be involved in conversations that might impact sales or operations or some of those kind of things. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right, Mark. And actually, tightrope is a great way to put it. You're exactly right. You have to, as an entrepreneurial leader, I've learned that you have to definitely remove yourself from being a micromanager, but you have to know everything that's going on. And so you have to find... You have to find a way to do that that still gives 
all of the other people in the organization the opportunity to grow and flourish and to learn. But then at the same time, you have to have all the answers when 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 the time is right. And so, yeah, it is. It is a tightrope. And I will tell you that, it, you know, I don't think anyone could ever master it. Right. I don't think you can ever be perfect at it. But right. I will say the business leaders that I know in this industry and others, the ones that have done really, really well, have done a great job of walking that tightrope and letting their organization grow and, and thrive and flourish all the people inside that organization. But they know everything that's going on and they know how it works. And they are still the go-to person that, that people like to bring to the table when there's a, a really serious discussion. Good deal. I hear two ingredients in your secret sauce, culture and entrepreneurial leadership. Is, is there another ingredient here? Yeah, you know, that, that ability to scale. That that's uh to me that's that's huge. When you know, when we started out, when you and I chatted the other day, I think we talked about when we started out, we didn't have a plan to go raise capital or get financing at lending institutions or or any of those things, right? That was not the plan when we got started. We were we were put into those positions because of the success of the business, and that's exciting, but it's scary, you know, and so we had to learn what scale really meant quickly. <laughs> you know, scale is not just hire more people, buy more stuff. Scale is the process, the procedure, the the methodology by which you grow that goes into making the wise decision on when to hire more people and when to buy more stuff, so to speak. So that that was really key for us. We we work in an industry that is very capital intensive. We we had to go out years ago and, you know, I understood that if we were going to scale, we had to raise capital. That was a scary time, uh, but it was necessary. It was not uh, a business that could simply cash flow to grow at the pace we were growing. We could have cash flowed and grown at a very, very slow pace and been a very healthy business and be a fraction of the size that we are today. But to take market share and to go after these opportunities, we had to we had to learn that. We had to learn that. So a lot of entrepreneurs I have seen time and time again, they start just like I did. They started a business at a necessity, they had a passion, it started making money and paying the bills. And then they started enjoying a nicer lifestyle. They start hiring some employees and all the while the customers are liking their their work. They have a great product or service. And one day they're going to wake up and they're going to have to make this decision. Do I stay where I am and enjoy a nice lifestyle or do I go to that next step and actually scale the business? And that decision point for many entrepreneurs is not only a hard decision to make, it's a scary decision to make. But it's also probably the single most important decision they're ever going to make for the health of that company, because that is where really the the road forks. You know, you can go to the right or left, uh, but you have to make that decision. And so when you start out like I did, you didn't you didn't think this decision was part of the cards. That's not why you started. You didn't start out to go raise capital and hire more people and expand your footprint across the country. You start out to to do something that you have a passion for and to take care of your employees. And so that that secret sauce 
ingredient of ability to scale is so critical because once you make that decision, your entire life as an entrepreneur changes because now you you might bring on investors or you might bring in capital or you might make larger commitments than you would have to customers in the past. And now the, the, the nights of staying up and trying to figure out how you do all this, they get a lot more important. They get a lot more frequent. So you have to learn to manage that properly. Uh, wow. Really appreciate kind of sharing that secret sauce. And kind of my experience, all those things ring true. What I, one of the things I find fascinating is that you were thinking about culture when you were still a very small business. I find that kind of unusual, Sam. So what, what caused you to think about that when you're kind of in survival mode? Because that's pretty long-term thinking uh, for a new business. <laughs> well, it is. That, oh, that's a great question. You know, when, when I started the business, uh, you know, I was in the oil field service. I, you know, was in the field. I was doing the work, managing projects. And really, when I started this business, I I wanted a place that if I had to hire an employee, I wanted it to be a place that they would enjoy working. And I didn't want it to be just the next place, like a lot of the places I came from, right? Yeah. And I didn't come from bad companies. I didn't come. I had great managers. I had great bosses. We had great companies. We offered great services, but there just was no connection. It was, I never felt connected. I felt that I could come and go and they would just stick another person in that spot and keep moving. And so I was just, I, I never felt that appreciation I was looking for. And maybe for some people, they, they need that like myself. Maybe I needed that more than others. Some people might be perfectly happy just knowing that their paycheck is there and they've got a job and benefits and you can like me or not, doesn't matter. My paycheck still shows up on Friday. I was looking for something more. So what I wanted was to build something that I wanted, I would want to be a part of. And I thought, well, if I would want to be a part of it, then maybe that'll attract other people. And we were able, because of that, we were really able to get some great talent early on. And uh, some of the folks that were some of my very first hires, very first employees. I actually am still friends with them and know them very well today. And they've gone on to be very successful on their own. And we talk about that all the time when we get together about how we just had a great working environment. So it really was just, it was a personal thing for me. I figured if I was going to put my name on the side of it, I was going to do it the way I wanted to do it. <laughs> Good deal. So as I kind of think about your three ingredients of culture, entrepreneurial leadership, and ability to scale, it sounds like culture and entrepreneurial leadership were key elements to your ability to scale, in addition to capital and those kind of things. Is that, is that right? Yeah, no, that's very true. I, I think that's I think that's hitting it spot on. You know, without without those two, you're right. You can't scale. You don't have that opportunity to scale. So, no, I, I think that makes makes a lot of sense. Okay, good deal. Well, Sam, you've, you've, you've shared a secret sauce. I hope uh, uh, entrepreneurs and even, even uh, corporate operations that maybe are ready to go to the next level could benefit from kind of these three ingredients. I will tell you, as a career corporate guy, those things play real well, you know, in a bigger company, too. In fact, I would have loved to see kind of more entrepreneurial behavior and allowance in a corporate setting. 
So people kind of did feel connected and, and ownership and, and not just working in their silo. To me, that would have been really valuable in a billion-dollar corporation. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things I really appreciate about kind of your career is you've been, you've worked for bigger companies. And so you, and you learned the industry kind of from the ground up and then became an entrepreneur, smaller company, and built it into something uh, bigger and more robust. And obviously, you've taken a lot of pride in it. So for folks who are kind of listening to this podcast, what's the best lesson you learned along the way from the old school of hard knocks <laughs> that you would want to share with <laughs> listeners? Things you don't <laughs> learn in a classroom that you learn from the school of hard knocks. Yeah, you know, I've I've thought about this more since we since we talked the other day. I'm sure you took some notes on everything that we talked about the other day and you know, I've I've thought about this this quite a bit as we got ready to visit today and there's so many lessons along the way and you could almost wake up every day and think back on another one and how valuable it is and and that you know, if it wouldn't have been for that lesson learned, we wouldn't have been here. But I I would say the the greatest lesson learned for me really has been, you know, I, I think it's so hard, it's so hard to pick, but the the greatest lesson learned for me has, has truly been to, to take that real ownership of the business and to, to really allow the employees to take the ownership of the business. So they're not just showing up and doing a task and getting a paycheck, but that they're a part of the growth and the success and and teach them what it feels like to actually own and operate a business, you know, to, so they can they can have that experience in their role where we talk about it all the time that when I've got an operations person or a technical person or a truck driver or whatever it is, we want them to look at their role as like their own little business. And we say that a lot. I say it a lot to to our employees. And I, I want them to think through what they would do if they were the one sole person responsible for that success or failure of that business, so to speak, which is their role. And and so for me, a great lesson learned along the way is is giving them the power to do that empowering them, providing the support and the mentorship, the guidance and the training and the tools. That that's been a very valuable lesson in how I've how I've grown the business over the years. Is it sometimes a scary proposition to give people that kind of power? Oh absolutely. Right. You you have to you have to have faith in people. Yeah. And you have to have faith that they want to do the right thing. They may not do the right thing, but maybe they needed better training or they just, you know, made a bad decision. But I, that's how I learned, you know, when I first started in this business, I had a manager that told me, as long as you don't hurt anybody or tear up the equipment, I'm going to let you make the decisions because that's the way you're going to learn. And it stuck with me as a, you know, 20 year old kid that was getting into the oil field service business for the very first time. It was it was really fascinating to actually have the ability to make a decision and and do it and not have somebody just say no or yes without explanation. Right. And yeah. yeah. I learned a lot and I learned quickly from that. And because of that, I think that's that's why it was so key. People will learn, I feel, a lot quicker and more thoroughly 
how to do a great job at everything they do if they feel like they are actually in control of what they're working on. And they have to understand that there's a chain of command and management and there are reasons and policies and procedures, and we have to be safe. But I think you can give people a lot of flexibility in doing their role. And just because they don't do it just like you do doesn't mean they're doing it wrong either, right? So there's, there's, other, there's other ways to do things. And I think a lot of times managers and, and leaders forget that just because it's not the way you do it doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. Maybe they just found a different way. So when people do make mistakes, you and I are human, so is everybody else. Does that provide coaching opportunities or how, how do you handle that? It, it depends. Uh, but the short answer is yes, it's coaching opportunities, unless it's something that, uh, again, is a safety concern or a blatant disregard for policies and procedures. Right. Unfortunately, we still work in an environment where uh, you have people that make bad decisions and it, it, it's detrimental to the company. Um, if it's if it's not on purpose, I always look at it as a coaching opportunity. If it's on purpose, that's a different story. Sure. Or if it's without without regard to consequence, right, that's a different story. But in general, yes, we like to look at it as coaching opportunities. And, and you have to because I, I think you just really need to understand, you know, the employees need to understand that they can make a decision and they can make a mistake. They don't have to be perfect every time. And that's how they're going to learn. And eventually, the key is that you're not making the same mistake. You're moving forward. You're learning and, and you're growing. You know, early in my career, Sam, I worked for a publicly traded corporation, you know, 30 years ago or maybe a little longer, <laughs> probably 35. <laughs> and early in my career, I heard the CEO say in a talk, an employee talk, right? He said, as we grow our people, so will we grow our company. And I will tell you, I've heard a lot of people say that and didn't really mean it. The CEO meant it. And I so respected him for that. And that was kind of one of the mantras that helped us grow. And people were really proud of that, that we did invest in developing people. We did give people opportunity and they did get the opportunity to, you know, to learn and grow and make mistakes. And like you said, as long as they were well-intentioned and no malice involved, it became a company that we were just really proud to be a part of. And I worked there for 22 years. So I hear you saying the same thing, that growing your people are party are just part of how you grow your business. No, that that's very true. And, you know, we're, we're in a business in, in Sapphire, we're in a business that's a people business. We're a yeah. service company, right? We, we have equipment and we have trucks and we deliver gas and, we have you know millions and millions of dollars of capital sitting on the yard at any given time. But at the end of the day, none of that does any good for anybody unless we have people that are dedicated, qualified, and trained to make all that work in unison for a solution. And so we really are in the people business. And I think more and more companies need to understand that they are in the people business too. They may sell products and they might you know, maybe they manufacture items or, or sell products or even do web-based transactions, but somewhere behind the scenes, there's people. Yeah. And those people have to be dedicated to performing well for the company to be successful. And so, you know, I, I just, 
I think it's I think it's fascinating a lot of times where when I come across managers or or management teams or just corporate cultures, um, big and small, that that don't understand the people aspect of it. It's fascinating to me because without the dedication of the folks that we have working for us, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, Mark, on a podcast talking about the success of Sapphire because it wouldn't be here. And so it's um, it's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. So great conversation, Sam. I know for a fact that you and I could go another hour and a half and and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, some other time we shall. So as we're kind of wrapping up, you know, folks that were interested in hearing more or learning more about uh, Sapphire Gas Solutions, uh, website uh, or any any other uh, place that they could look to learn more about your company. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, the website is sapphirenatgas.com or sapphiregassolutions.com. Uh, you can go to either one, either one, and it takes you to our website. You know, you can find us on you know LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have all the social media accounts. Sapphire Gas Solutions would welcome anybody to go look. You know, our marketing team does a really nice job of, of getting project pictures out when we can, when we're allowed to use them. But we've got equipment pictures and stories and case studies and things out there on the on the web that, you know, would probably be great for people to see just the gravity and the breadth of, of what you can do. When you don't have a natural gas pipeline, there's still options. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knocked around on one of those websites and I thought it was really well done. So kind of listening to you, I get, I'm getting a kick out of all the social media that you're talking about. And I'm pretty sure that in 2005 in your garage, that was not top of mind. In fact, some of those probably didn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I don't think social media existed. Matter of fact, I, I think it was around, I think it was in 2009, I actually took a social media class by who is now our, and has been for the last 11 years, our web developer. Uh, I've worked with, with the same group for the last 11 years because the owner, that entrepreneur that started that web development company, put on a free seminar on social media and how it could impact your business. And I went and took that class and then ended up giving him a presentation to his potential customers a couple of years later on how social media had actually helped grow our business. So it was pretty fascinating. It was a lot of fun to go through that process. Well, it's just one more example of we've got to uh, grow with the times, don't we? Uh, in, in every area, whether it's sales or technology or, you know, uh, looking at our business model. Well, hey, Sam, great, great, great conversation. Really appreciate the insights. And I will tell you, they they all rang true based on my 35 years of experience. So really appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, inviting me to to talk, Mark. I've, been, I've enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I hope somebody has an opportunity to use, use something here that we've talked about today to make a positive impact on their business. Absolutely. And, you know, really, that's the secret sauce, if there is one, to, to my podcast. And that is, I like talking with people who are running companies, who are running businesses, who've who've learned from the School of Hard Knocks and have something really to share with people, just as you did. So I really appreciate it. 
So folks, uh, hey, thank you for listening. My, my last line is this. Great podcasts are the new MBA. So y'all have a great week. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for joining us on Real Business in Real Time with executive coach, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Be sure to connect with Mark Hinderleiter on LinkedIn, check out his leadership tip of the week, and subscribe to this podcast on the app of your choice. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.